As long as I can remember, we'd been waiting for the Messiah to come for us. My family, our tribe, our whole nation. I always knew that he'd come, but... <laughs> well, let's be honest, it's not like I'm from Jerusalem or someplace special. I'm just a girl from Nazareth. And everybody knows that not much good comes from Nazareth, never has. I thought for sure that Angel had come to the wrong house with his announcement. But if that's what God wanted, well, who was I to tell him he was wrong? And Joseph, well, God bless that wonderful man. He could have joined in with everybody else. He could have had me sent away. He could have even had me killed. But he just never broke the promise to marry me. And so when he had to go to Bethlehem for the census, I was honored to ride by his side. Even with heartburn and bloated cankles and nine months of pregnancy behind me. You know those women who try different things to induce labor, like going on frequent walks or eating spicy foods? What they should do is go on a bumpy 70-mile trip to Bethlehem. Because not long after I got there, and I'd never done this myself, but even I knew it was time. And with every wave of pain, I tried to ignore the fact that my family wouldn't be there to help me that I'd be bringing this baby into the world without the familiarity of home. But when Jesus finally came, I forgot all of that, though. I just wrapped him in cloths and tried to make the most comfortable bed I could for him. But the only thing I had which was an animal's feeding trough. Joseph said I should have been sleeping then, but I couldn't stop staring at him. There he was. The one the angel had told me about. My heart was so full, I couldn't even find words big enough to express it. first young mother to bring a child into this world. It's always been that way. But as I look down at my son, my redeemer, I knew that he would change everything because he'd already changed me. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you for this privilege and this opportunity to share with you God's word today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Liz Vandivort. I'd love to connect with you after service. I know a ton of you are here visiting kids, um, and so that's a lot of fun to see a full house of people visiting with us today. Can I pray while we get ready to talk about God's word? 
We give you thanks and we give you praise for this Advent season. We give you thanks for the littles who are here on the stage learning about your story, learning about how you welcomed Christ into this world for us. And so we give you all the honor and praise and glory. Settle our hearts and settle our minds to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Stephanie read the scripture from Luke 1, 26, beginning in verse 26. We're going to read that again today. So open in your Bibles. If you don't, didn't bring one, there should be some black Bibles every couple of chairs. We're going to go into the New Testament and look for the book of Luke. Luke is the third gospel in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. little rhyme helps me remember what order they're in. So go ahead and open that to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. <clears throat> but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, Tom spoke about Elizabeth. Today we're going to speak about Mary but in the time that you talked about Elizabeth, I want to see if any of you remember. I kind of thought this was an important point, and so I was surprised Tom didn't write it on the bulletin or put it on the screen, so this will be a real good test for you. If you were here two weeks ago, he said about Elizabeth, the woman who was barren and could not conceive, he said, God is making life out of what? Does anybody remember? Lawrence got it, superstar. God is making life out of barren places, is what Tom said. And as I prayed over this message today, that phrase kept coming to my mind, God is making life out of barren places. And it occurred to me that as I studied for Mary, she also was barren. Not in the same way, but on her own, as a virgin not knowing a man, she could not produce life. She was barren and she was empty until the Holy Spirit came to her and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. And then life came. And then I thought about the opening verses of Genesis. And it says, the earth was formless and void. Or it's wild and waste. In the very beginning, there's no life. Huh. Until God said so. And then there was life. And if we read throughout the Old Testament, we can see other women of Israel who were barren. 
and yet God spoke, and they had life. We see this in the stories of Sarah, Rebecca, uh, Rachel, mother of Samson, not Rachel, sister wife of Leah, and Hannah. All of those women were called barren until God said so. And so one of my favorite things to do in Scripture is to rely on the knowledge of people a whole lot smarter than me. And with that, we can do this thing uh, with Scripture where we take a 10,000-foot view, where we kind of take this airplane ride over the Scriptures, and we look for the places where God is calling out themes, repeated places where he's trying to teach us something else. And one of those things is through barrenness and birth. Scripture is clear that in each of those cases, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Hannah, that they were barren until the Lord said so. And so these mothers who were barren in each of those scenarios ended up birthing sons who became heroes of Israel in one way or another. So that theme is repeated as we go throughout the Old Testament. And we arrive here in the New Testament at Luke and we see that Elizabeth is barren and Elizabeth too bears a hero of Israel, one who was prophesied to clear the way for the Lord. So not only do we see that this theme is repeated in Elizabeth, but it's amplified as John is called a great prophet. And as it's amplified, it is then culminated with the birth of Jesus. Mary on her own could not create life And the Lord spoke, and there was life. And then now not only has she delivered a hero for Israel, she's delivered the hero for Israel. Because you see, as good as those boys were for those barren mothers of the Old Testament, none of them could save the people. Here they were born, and maybe for a while the people were obedient or called back to the Lord, and yet every time they failed. And even John the Baptist, who came to clear a path for the Lord, did not come to save them. John said, there is another one coming who is greater than me. He's preparing a way for the Lord. And he baptized people, not in salvation, but in repentance. Repent and be prepared for the Lord is coming. This theme of barrenness and completion in life is now brought to its apex, to its culmination in the birth of Jesus Christ, the only one who could truly and finally save the people. Another theme that we can see amplified throughout the Old Testament is that of God's presence. Now remember, historically, Israel, as you read throughout the Old Testament, has the Lord with them in one way or another. Either the Lord appeared to them for a brief time, um, think like Moses and the burning bush, or the men who came and visited Abraham and Sarai, that the Lord took a form and appeared to them. Or he even resided with them in the tabernacle and in the temple, or he spoke to them through the prophets. So throughout the Old Testament, the people of God are used to having God with them in some form. If we go back to when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, when we had that uh, portable temple called the tabernacle, uh, there was a large football-sized kind of courtyard field, and inside that was a tent, and then inside that was a section of the tent called the Holy of Holies. And when that was built for God's instructions, the Lord's presence actually came and resided in that inner sanctuary where the priest was only allowed to go in once a year. God was with them in the wilderness, And when God decided that they needed to move, so remember they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before they ended in their promised land, 
When God told them to move, his presence would lift out of that inner sanctuary and it would appear as a cloud or as a pillar of fire. And it would go in front of the people, the people would pack up all their stuff and they would move however God asked them to move. God was with them. He was visible, palpable, tangible with them. But we know because those heroes couldn't save the people that they continued to be disobedient over time. And the Lord is not one to control us. If you say that you don't want God, you want to push God away, God's going to say, okay, that's what you're asking for. And that's what he did with the people. He continued to be with them, but they continued to be increasingly disobedient to the point where more and more consequences were delivered to them. Eventually, the people finished wandering in the wilderness. They received their promised land. They found Jerusalem. They conquered the peoples, and they built their final temple, which looked like the tabernacle. Big outdoor courtyard, big temple in the middle, inner sanctuary inside, and the Lord's presence resided in there as they continued to be disobedient from time to time. He resided in there. But things escalated to such a point that the Lord's presence eventually left the temple. The prophet Ezekiel saw the Lord's presence lift up out of the inner sanctuary and go reside on a nearby mountain. And very shortly after that happened, they were conquered by the Babylonians. They were no longer the owners of that temple. And for a while, the Lord continued to speak through the prophets. Even though the presence of the Lord had departed from the people, he did continue to send them prophets, words of the Lord. And then eventually, God just went silent. There were about 400 years between the time the prophets stopped speaking to the time that Jesus was born. So for a people group who was used to residing directly with the Lord or hearing from the Lord or seeing brief appearances of the Lord, they were in exile. They were separated from God until John the Baptist came who was foretold to be preparing a way for the Lord. John says, someone greater than me is coming. Prepare your hearts. Be baptized in repentance for your sins. And Mary said this, for as long as she could remember, the people were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. But how did they know? Well, they knew through the prophets. They knew through the prophets that the Messiah would come, that he was predicted and foretold. And for 400 years, they waited and waited for the Messiah to come. In Isaiah, the prophet says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah, Old Testament. Before the 400 years of silence, Isaiah spoke these words. And so the people clung to these prophecies. They clung to these words from God as a promise that the Messiah would come ultimately to save them. And even though God had departed from the people, he never forgot about them. God had left those clues in the prophecies for them. And he would be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. The people of God needed God again. 
They were lost in their foreign lands. They were ruled by other governments, and they were oppressed. But God didn't leave. He left them clues. The Lord also said through the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. The arrival of Jesus, this Emmanuel God with us, was new. God would be with us in a way that he had never been with us before. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, we can see that um, God showed up in certain ways. I said he appeared. We think about like the burning bush or we think about the men who visited Abraham and Sarah. But this was different. Those were temporary, brief appearances of God. They were called theophanies or Christophanies. But this was different. Jesus would be with Mary in her womb. And Jesus shared her blood. Jesus was sustained inside the body of the mother Mary. He became fully human through human gestation and human birth. The human Jesus was nursed and weaned. He was raised and instructed. He was fed and loved and cared for by the mother Mary. Mary was not a bystander in this process. She was chosen to be an active participant to usher in Emmanuel, God with us. Mary is a perfect example of how God chooses to work through and with humanity to bring about his plans. Now, our God is certainly big enough to run this show on his own. He could. He could have done any of this without Mary. He could have, poof, there was Jesus. I mean, in fact, he did that in the Old Testament. Poof, there he was. But he doesn't choose to. And when we look back all the way in creation, from the creation of humans, when God said to Adam and Eve, go and be fruitful, have dominion over the earth, we see that God chooses to invite us, humanity, into his plans. Our God chooses to come down to us, to meet us at our level, not to dictate or to control us, but to invite us into his plan. God invited Adam and Eve into his plan. God invited Abraham to leave his family and his homeland and to follow him and to make, a fa- make him a father of many nations. God invited Abraham into his plan. God invited Mary to birth and to raise the Christ child. God invited Mary into his plan. And God calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. God invites us into his plan. God chooses to work with and through humanity to bring about his plans. And so as I prayed, I was really overwhelmed by Mary's unique position as a mother. There's a saying that floats around on social media, probably more so during, you know, Mother's Day season. And it says something like, to be a mother is to have your heart forever walking around outside your body. And doesn't it feel like that sometimes? That when your child is successful at something or has accomplished something they've worked hard to do, how your heart just soars for them. Or when you see them taking what they learn here in the church and what they learn in their programs here and then sacrificing for others or loving others or being Jesus to other people, does your heart not just melt over that as a parent? When your kids hurt, how your heart hurts too. And I thought, oh, 
to be Mary, that in every way that as a human mother to a human child you would feel those things, how much more Mary must have felt, how much more intense her emotions must have been toward not only this child she bore, but the one who would be her savior, the one who would save her people. On a biological level, there's even a reason the mothers have a higher sense of connection with their children. While in the room, I'm going to dive into science here for a minute because I believe science affirms the existence of God, does not discredit the existence of God. Babies don't breathe in the womb, right? They don't use their livers in the womb to filter out toxins like adults do. God created babies to have alternate pathways in their bodies while they are in the womb. So when Mary delivered blood to the baby fetus of Jesus, it went into the baby's body, bypassed the lungs, went straight into the heart. And from the heart, it bypassed the liver, went straight back into Mary. And it occurred to me, oh my gosh, these are not two separate living beings. This is one connected circulatory system. This is one connected series of life shared in the blood of the mother Mary and baby Jesus. It's amazing to think about how incredibly connected they must have been. So, thinking about what it is like to be Mary in this position, to have so deeply connected with the Savior, with God inside of her, just blows my mind. And I wonder what she thought. I wonder how she handled herself in all of this. I wonder what she thought when Gabriel came to her, where in almost every other place in Scripture, when we hear the angels show up, that people are scared. And we know she was scared too. This angel was probably big and probably bright, like described in other parts of Scripture, and in bewilderment she says, how can this be? I've not even known a man. Not that she's doubting what God is doing, but she's saying, I don't understand. And then angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And her response, it's amazing. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'm not sure if my response would have been the same. How much must have been racing in her mind at the time when she said those words? May your word to me be fulfilled. And then what we see Mary do following in Luke is to respond in a way that many other people respond when they're overwhelmed by how God is working. In the overwhelm, Mary returns her praises to God. In your Bibles, there's probably a heading. It says either Mary's song or the Magnificat. And Mary praises God for what he's doing. I didn't put this on the screen, but I'll read it to you. In verse 46, she says, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary knew her place. Mary knew that she was a very small piece of God's very big plan. She knew that God often used people without status, without money, without power to advance his plan and to fulfill his promises. So what do we learn when we hear this from Mary's song? We learn that God has plans for ordinary people. Ordinary people like you and me. She was just a nobody from Nazareth, she said. And not much good comes out of Nazareth, except Jesus came from Nazareth. And so I ask you, who do you think you are? Are you ordinary people? Are you people who God could use to further his plans? Mary sings about how the lowliest of God's children are lifted up, but the proud are made humble. This is God's upside-down kingdom at work. That's another theme in Scripture, that what you expect God to do is probably not what he's going to do. The people who were waiting for the coming of the Messiah, they were waiting for a new king. In fact, they were never supposed to have a king. They said they wanted a king. They argued with God, and God said, fine, have a king. But that didn't work out for them. Really, in the long run, that king didn't save them. Their series of kings eventually became disobedient because they were human. And what the people needed was God, not a king. Yet, here they are again, awaiting the birth of the Messiah, who they think is going to be a political leader and a military power who will conquer those who have conquered them and come to rule again here on earth. But that's not what God does. God comes as a baby, as a lowly servant. We see God's upside-down kingdom throughout Jesus' ministry where he says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Whereas he, the one who sat at the right hand of the Father, said, I came not to be served, but I came to serve. That's God's upside-down kingdom at work. And Mary sings that here, that God remembered her humble state and yet gave her a place of great honor, one where she will be remembered from generation to generation. Just an ordinary girl, just somebody from Nazareth. So maybe you think you're not a big deal. Maybe you think because you work with your hands or you answer phones or you take care of children or you whatever your job is, Maybe you think you're not a big deal. But that's okay, because nobody is unimportant enough to be excluded from God's plan. And there's no qualification in the scriptures that say, hey, you're not important enough, you don't get to be used. No, every single person is called to participate and to labor for Christ and to share the gospel of the good news. And especially this time of year, what an opportunity it is at Christmas and Easter to share with other people about why you really celebrate, about why you come to church every week, about why you sing praises to God. But there is one more thing God's looking for. In verses 42 and 45, Mary had gone to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says to her this, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. 
Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. God is also looking for people who dare to trust his promises. It took incredible faith that after 400 years, how many generations is that? At least five generations of people who did not hear a word from the Lord, relying on all of these ancient scriptures to trust in the future Messiah. How many of those Israelites do you think had fallen off the faith wagon at that point? Probably a fair number of them. But Mary was not one of them. She knew the Messiah was coming. She trusted and she hoped and she had faith in God's promises. God is looking for people who dare to trust his promises. So clinging to this hope and to this faith, Mary also believed when the angel Gabriel came to her and said, you will bear a child and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Mary wasn't alone in trusting the Lord. I want to point out one more person in Luke 2 who remained faithful and believed in the promises that the Lord had sent. There was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. And Simeon had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. In Luke 2.30, starting in 30, he says this, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory of your people Israel. I couldn't skip this passage as it leapt off the page at me, as I realized how much faith Mary must have had to continue to believe that the Messiah would come after 400 years of silence, and how much faith Simeon had with her that when the Lord told him, you will not die until you see the Messiah, that he patiently waited until the end of his life, until that day when in the spirit, the scripture says, he was led to the temple. And that was the day for ritual rites for Jesus in the temple. Simeon comes, Mary and Jesus are there, Mary and Joseph and Jesus are there together. And the heading of that section in your Bible, it says the prophecy of Simeon. Now none of that's a prophecy, right? So the Holy Spirit told Simeon that would happen, but he didn't declare it, I don't think, or scripture doesn't tell us that he did, and he showed up at the temple, the Spirit told him to show up, and that's not a prophecy. But what's the prophecy? The prophecy is about us. The prophecy is about you and me. It's Simeon, this ordinary guy who trusted God and his promises, prophesying about each one of you believers here in this place. That you ordinary people, that you who trust in God's promises would receive the light as Gentiles. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people in Israel. People, the Messiah has come to us today. Glory to God in the highest, and Emmanuel, God with us, indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son to be God with us. That in all of the ways that we need God to be with us, he is today that he came to earth through humanity, through Mary, to be here in human form, to experience what we experience. The scripture says that we don't have a savior who doesn't understand our sufferings, we have a savior who understands because he is one of us. You are so good to provide him here on this earth. 
and then to provide the spirit to live inside of us, to walk with us once again, that as people of God, we can have the spirit of God go with us and live with us and be with us every day. In Jesus' name, amen.